have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, man, I've missed that preacher. <laughs> well, how silent it's got in here. <laughs> I just wanted to watch you. I know two of you said that. I appreciate it. Trick or treat. How many of you like Halloween? Anybody like Halloween? Okay. Um, I, I always enjoyed it, watching my boys enjoy it. Remember when we lived in Denver, uh, they would measure their first snow on Halloween. And uh, sure enough, we were there, had no idea that we weren't supposed to go out in the snow to, ha- to trick or treat, so we did anyway. So they had their Ninja Turtle uh, outfits on and coats on and all that stuff. But we went door to door and people looked at us funny, but gave, us, gave them candy and it was fun. And last Wednesday night, as Christy mentioned, we had over 80, we had 39 families who've never uh, been a part of our church uh, came through. And so we're going to be able to do some follow-up with them and pray that they might come and be with us. I just love seeing the kids all dressed up. We had a, a hodgepodge and a variety of, of, uh, of, uh, of um, costumes. We had um, Mickey, Minnie Mouse. We had uh, Thomas the Train. We had um, uh, see, uh, medieval princesses, and we had all kinds of things. But I wanted to show you one in particular. <clears throat> uh, he won the uh, contest for the boys. <laughs> he, was a, he was a kissing booth, is what he was. <laughs> well, he would have you to kept the box on, but the box, uh, we had to pin the... The uh, Misty had to pin the uh, suspenders on so they would stay up. But nevertheless, uh, we had a great time. And uh, again, thank you to all of you that brought candy and helped with the games and uh, those that built some of our games. We had some a Plinko board and uh, uh, we had uh, a bean toss board and face painting and just all kinds of stuff. And I thank all of you for helping with that and the food. And it was just it was just awesome. It was just awesome. How many of you remember the movie Weekend at Bernie's? (laughs) The movie's about a guy who dies, but his friends still bring him with them and act as though he's alive. And the only thing weirder about that movie is that they made a Weekend at Bernie's Part (laughs) 2, which which, uh, left a lot of unanswered questions. The tagline for the movie was, Bernie's back and he's still dead. (laughs) That happens in a lot of churches as well. I can't tell you how many are weekend at Bernie's churches. They think they're alive, but they're totally dead. One of the reasons we're having this revival Bible conference next week is to help kind of wake us up. That's what you do with those. You bring in a special speaker, and he will say, Russell will say a lot of the things that I say all the time, and all of a sudden you'll have it so profound, you'll go, whoa. Man, I've never heard that before. And that's what I'm hoping you do. Because what I hope is that it's going to make an impact in your heart and in your life to where you'll want to make some positive changes and deepen your walk with God. That's what's important. Amen? 
doesn't matter who brings the message. Just you just need to come. Come every night. You say, well, I'm just too busy. Ah, no, 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 no. Come on every night. Seven to eight o'clock. Just lean forward. We'll think you're praying. It'll be okay. Just come on. I'll guarantee you, you'll be glad you did. This was kind of the way the church was, though, in uh, Thessalonica. They were in a live church. They were in a wake church. And Paul talks about that. Uh, and, and they were committed to reaching and discipling people. And so Paul, <clears throat> coming off the heels of 1 Thessalonians, just a week later, he pins the second letter to them. <clears throat> because he has, still had some things he wanted to say. And we're going to see in this letter, Paul addresses three issues. The first one was how to deal with persecution and living for the Lord in a fallen world. The second issue he dealt with was the return of Jesus because false teachers had risen up, teaching against that. And then the third issue was that, uh, that of idleness. Some believe that Jesus, since Jesus was coming back, well, they just quit their jobs and they get lazy. They just wait for the Lord to come back, do nothing. So Paul writes to straighten them out. He opens the epistle praising this church for all they were doing right. And there's a lot that we can learn as a whole from this church, and there's a lot that we can learn individually from this church as well, because they were involved and engaged in what God wanted them doing. And I want to show you three things this church had that we need as well. Why? Because every time I talk to someone who's slipping in their faith, they're missing one or all of these three things. Every time I talk to someone whose relationships are falling apart, they're missing one or all of these three things that we're going to talk about. Every time I talk to someone whose life is in shambles, they're missing one or all of these. And so we need these three so badly because it's what keeps us <clears throat> moving forward. So we want to start in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verses 1-5. through five. <clears throat> Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We must always thank God for you, brothers. This is right. And would you underline this? Since your faith is flourishing. Since your faith is flourishing. And the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your endurance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions you endure. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also are suffering. The first thing I want you to know about this church is that this church had a growing faith. They had a growing faith. And I want you to notice, again, what Paul says in verse 3 about them, is that their faith was growing, was flourishing. That's a great word, flourishing. Their faith was above ordinary. And what was the thing that was causing their growth so much? Was trials. Trials. You will find in your life that the greatest growth you have is when you're going through difficult times. Now, at the moment, they, seem, they may seem insurmountable. I can't get over this. I can't get past this. Really? Hell yeah, you can. And when you do, you can look back and go, I got upset about that. Really? Because God will use the trials to deepen your faith. To increase your faith. To have your faith flourish 
Every time I teach on trials, and, and I don't like to teach on trials because it then affects my life. It seems to turn it upside down. And this week was no different as I was getting, I was gone to Orlando and I got back and I was doing short preparation because of time being gone and back and, and then all kinds of interruptions, all kinds of challenges, all kinds of things arose. And so you might say, you know, I wish Pastor Harold would do a whole series on the message of trials. Now I'm going to tell you, I can't do that because if I did, man, it would cost me my whole life. I'd be dead at the end of it. Because <laughs> God just has a way when I'm teaching about trials to increase mine. Seems like Satan says, okay, you want that? I'm going to bring it on you. And sometimes it's hard to get through. But the good news is, as we work through those trials, God has a great blessing on the backside of it. Don't get discouraged. Don't throw in the towel and don't quit. Keep working at it. Well, my relationship's sour. Well, keep working at it. Well, that she doesn't tell me she loves me enough or he doesn't tell me he loves me enough. Keep working at it. Try to outdo each other in the way you serve each other. There you go. Well, I'll be doing all the love and all the giving. He won't do none or she won't do none. So, you do it as you do it under the Lord. You see, because the first person you're supposed to love in a relationship is God, not your wife or husband. I'll, I'll pause and let you catch up. Amen. I'll pause again. Amen. Oh, we're almost there. Amen. I'm getting two hands now. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Because if you love each, if you love God more than you love each other, you got a chance. You got a chance. Because when one of them passes, it hurts deeply. But then there's a peace because you know where they are. And you know that one day you're going to get to be with them again. Hey, yay, yay, yay. Doesn't minimize the loss. Day after day after day after day. And I don't think it ever goes away, it just gets tolerable. <laughs> just tolerable. But one thing it does is it strengthens you in the Lord. But seriously, trials are those moments when you learn things about the Lord and, that you never knew before and you learn about yourself and the faith that you actually have. Trials and challenges develop our faith and deepen our faith like nothing else can. In James, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So let them come. It's okay. You will get through it. You will survive. And here's what I've learned. Every test in life is a preparation for what God is going to do next in my life. And that helps me to experience going to the next level. Because we've all got to get ready to move to the next level. If you never move, if you stay the same as you always are, if you've been the same way in Christ as you've been for 20, 30 years, shame on you. Shame on you. You should be growing in your walk with God. And if you're not growing, if you're not maturing, if you're not getting better, shame on you. Well, if you were preaching better, we'd get it. I could preach a lot. Jesus could preach to you and you'd still walk out and go, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Because if you don't want to embrace it, it don't matter who says it. But if you want to embrace it, Woo, Lord have mercy. 
There's some things that you can't learn or experience without actually doing them. Isn't that true? How many of you learned to kiss by working, your, working it on the mirror first? <laughs> yeah, I didn't think you'd want to admit it. All right, all right. Well, I remember the first time I kissed a girl. It was, oh, mercy sakes, alive. I, it, you know, I worked on that pucker thing for a long time. And it was done so fast, I'm going, that's it? That's it? I was in the first grade. <laughs> I didn't know what pucker meant. Just kind of done. I said, that's it? Sheesh, that's nothing. I didn't know. I didn't know. So I began to train myself better. So by the time I found Cindy, I knew. I didn't hear Cindy say. <laughs> and you probably won't see it. <clears throat> Just roll with me on this part of my message here. Just roll with me. But there are just some things you just can't learn without experience, right? <laughs> without doing them. And as much as you can, it's like swimming. Ever tried to learn how to swim using the internet? Ran across this, is hilarious. The, the internet can teach you how to do the breaststroke with an online lesson. Here it is, Step four steps. Number one, leg movement. Move your feet and legs together like a frog would. Simply bend your knees and lift your feet up as far as, you, as your posterior. Turn your feet out in preparation for pushing back with the bottom of your foot. Move your feet out and in again to meet each other and straighten your legs with your knees touching. Step number two, arm, arm movement. Start out by placing your arms out in front of you. With your palms facing outward, push both hands out and, and around as if drawing a full circle. Your hands finish by stretching forwards again. Step three, breathing. When you have mastered the leg and arm movements, you will notice that your head starts to lift naturally at the end of the cycle. When this occurs, simply lift your face and take a breath in through your mouth. Step four. The last step is to put your stroke together. So put your arms, <clears throat> so pull your arms and breathe in while pushing your legs back and stretching out with your body level in the water. You will never learn how to swim following it on the internet. Can you see somebody laying on the floor doing all this? Hilarious. You got to get. My brothers taught me how to swim. They took me to the lake, took me to the end of the, uh, of the pier, and threw me in. And they stood there and laughed at me while I flailed like a, like a wild man. And they said, swim. I said, what does it mean, swim? Move your arm. Move your... I was moving everything. I wasn't going anywhere. But somehow I survived. But you're not ever going to learn how to swim online. You've got a better chance of learning to swim in the shower than you do if you stay on the internet. Cindy and I, were, when we were first married, we didn't have much. We were a young couple struggling to make it and having just gotten out of college, well, money was tight. And so we wanted to be faithful to the Lord. We began to give uh, and, and trying to get totally out of debt. And I remember one week that uh, we got paid, wrote the check out to the church, paid all the bills, but we didn't really have any money left for groceries. I didn't want to tell her that, so I just said... Lord, we need some grocery money. And sure enough, wasn't a day or two later, somebody knocked on the parsonage door. It was a couple standing on the porch, and they wanted to get married right then. So we went next door to the church, and there was a couple of ladies working on communion back there in the back, and they had their hair up in rollers, and I had overalls on, actually, with a tongue of my shoe hanging. I didn't have them tied. 
But uh, the guy wanted to get married right now. So we went over and Cindy and those two ladies became the witnesses and we got after it. And at the end of the end of the ceremony, he said, well, preacher, what do I owe you? And I just, I don't know why I said it this way, but I said, well, whatever you think she's worth. <laughs> so she was watching him and he thought she was worth a pretty good amount of money. So I got the money and I said, thank God we got money for groceries. Hallelujah. <laughs> But I'd have never gotten it had I not tried. You see what I'm saying? We've got to get involved with the Lord. You can't learn to trust God by reading a book. You learn to trust God by trusting Him. When you do, that trust allows God to do more in your life than you ever dreamed of. That's why the test you're experiencing now is so important. It's preparing you for the future work God wants to do in your life and this church in Thessalonica was passing the test. Let's pick up our text again at verse 6. Since it is righteous for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to reward with rest you who are afflicted along with us, this will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with His powerful angels, taking vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from His glorious strength. In that day when He comes to be glorified by His saints and to be admired by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. So the second thing this church practiced and I want you to know about them is that this church had an eternal perspective. They had an eternal perspective. Just underline or highlight all of verse 10. A while ago, I was driving, and this guy in a Volvo pulls up behind me. Now, this time, I'm going 35 miles an hour, which is the speed limit. What I've learned to do to stay in the speed limit is I set my cruise control. So I'm always going to be at that speed. And if a policeman uh, you know, wants to jump out and pull me over, well, I'm going the speed limit. But I knew there was a policeman up because people you know, will flash their lights at you. So I knew, okay. But this guy was riding me, riding, riding. Finally, he got, gets around, zoom around to get in front of me. <laughs> Sure enough, that policeman caught him and pulled him over. And, and when I rolled by him, I know I'm not supposed to, but it felt really, really good. <laughs> I said a quick prayer for him. <laughs> it, it's really as though I'd won this contest. And I was like, okay. But the point is, there are people who cause us trouble. And Paul says that there's a day coming where God is going to trouble them. So if you're being troubled by someone or by some persons, relax. God's going to take care of them. Now sometimes He lets us see that happen. But oftentimes we don't get to see it. But we don't care because it's going, we're going to be in heaven anyway and we'll let Him take care of it. Amen? It's just a whole lot easier to let Him take care of it. I don't have to do it. I don't have to knock you upside the head. We don't have to knock each other side up the head. We don't have to talk bad about each other. We just need to love each other. Amen? In fact, Psalm 73 says this, Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. 
If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. And when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. The point is, this church in Thessalonica had the same eternal perspective that we need to have. That eternity is a lot longer than our momentary problems here on earth. It's a long time. Eternity's forever. A bellman was telling the story of a hotel a couple who uh, uh, a couple was staying at this hotel, and he was telling them this story of how he was surprised that they were uh, being able to sleep in the room that they were being assigned because it usually was booked by the same couple for most of the year. He said to, he told this couple that they would stay in that room for more than eight months out of the year. Uh, it's really weird because they installed a medicine cabinet and a bathroom, put up some of their own artwork, even installed a dishwasher because they're there so much. And it's exactly what happens in our lives. We think that this life is all there is. It's not. Life is a vapor. It's here and then we're in eternity. It's a vapor. I'm 58 years old. And I keep thinking, okay, I'm only 58. No big deal. I can do stuff. I can still do stuff. <laughs> Really? Right. Where I work out, there's a bunch of young people that work out. I saw one of them lifting something the other day. I thought, I could do that. I can't do that. <laughs> I went over and looked at it. I got my hands on the bar. I looked down at each end and saw how much weight he had on each end. And I said, you fool, you fool. Get away from here. <laughs> so... <laughs> Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Can't wait to be with the Lord. Can't wait to see the face of Jesus. I want to talk with Moses. I could visit with Isaiah. Have Isaiah tell me what he, what he tried to describe in the sixth chapter. Because when we get to heaven, there's two things that we won't be able to do. Number one, we won't be able to sin. And number two, we won't be able to invest in eternity. We invest in eternity through sharing our faith with those far from God and through our service, devotion, and giving to God. This church was focusing on the things that mattered the most. Back to our text, verses 11 and 12. And in view of this, we always pray for you that our God will consider you worthy of His calling and will by His power fulfill every desire for goodness in the work of faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by Him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Third thing about this church that you need to know is that this church had godly ambition. Godly ambition. Everyone wants to be happy. The challenge is finding out how to be happy. So we look for happiness in everything. Relationships, stuff, money. Then you find out the hard way that stuff doesn't make you happy. Why? It's because what makes you happy today won't keep us happy a year from now. I was talking to a guy the other day. His phone rang and he pulled out the original iPhone. You know what I felt? I felt sad for him. I did. I felt really sad. Had this been three years ago and he pulls out that phone, everybody would have been envious, but now they're just kind of sad. 
I've got an iPhone 4S myself. I'm kind of the cool guy in the room. I was eating at a restaurant uh, not too long ago, and the waitress saw my iPhone 4S sitting there. She says, is that an iPhone 5? I said, no, it's a 4S. And she looked at me with, I'm so sorry for you. (laughs) The church's number one goal was to glorify God. By the way, that's the goal of our life, isn't it? Whether you realize it or not, we were created to glorify God. Colossians 1, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. The sooner sooner we learn that, the better life's going to be. It's not about you. It never has been about you. It's all about God. It always has been about God. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. You didn't create anything. He created you. He breathed in you the very breath of life. Ooh. So it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. And the sooner we answer that, live like it, we'll be better off. Everything in creation, including you and me, was created to glorify God. And here's why it's important. If we think life is to glorify or please us, life is very painful and frustrating. But if I recognize that God made me and that I was made for Him, that's when I fully give myself to Him is when I find purpose in life. It's not about me. It's all about God. Too many people are walking around simply existing when they could be living the real life that Jesus offers every person. And maybe that's you. You've been living for yourself all your life. God's desire isn't to spoil your fun or to make you miserable. On the contrary, God wants to give you life. A life that you've never dreamed of. A life with meaning and hope. And there's relationships that haven't been worked out. Stuff that didn't satisfy. Bad decisions that mess things up. And we wonder why life isn't turning out the way we hoped. We get frustrated because none of these things satisfy us and give give life meaning to us. And we start to think that maybe there's something wrong with us. C.S. Lewis said this, (coughs) If I discover within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's true. So you'll never feel it here because you're groaning and longing to be somewhere else. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. You got it. You were created for eternity and God's desire is for you to spend eternity with Him. That's why even though we're sinners and we've fallen short of God's standard, He loved us so much that He sent His Son to die for us. It's because we've been living for ourselves thinking that the point of life is to make me happy. It's not. It's to prepare me for eternity. Here's the secret. Happiness isn't something that you seek. Happiness is the byproduct of something else. It's the byproduct of knowing God and seeking God. When we pursue obeying God, honoring God, and growing in our faith, after a season, we look around and say, hey, I'm really happy. Here's where it begins. It's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He died for you. He offers forgiveness and grace to get a fresh start in life. 
Every sin and mistake we've made can be forgiven and washed clean when we give our lives to Him. And here's what I know. That God is speaking to some of you. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Well, I think that's why you're here today. Some of you know things about God. Maybe you went to church as a kid, but you have never invited Jesus to forgive you and be the Lord and Master of your life. I can tell you it will be the most important decision you'll ever make. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time this morning to just briefly be encouraged from your word. God, I'm thankful for the church of Thessalonica and how well they were doing things. A model in Scripture for River Oaks to follow. God, we have the greatest message the greatest gift. And we should be giving that gift and message to people. We should be leading them and helping them understand what it means to love you, to give our lives and hearts to you. God, if there is someone in this room today, would you encourage their spirit? Would you give them the courage to step out and say, I really need the Lord as my Savior. I suspect there's a number of people in this room that are battling life's battles. They might need just to pray. They might need to do some repenting. They might need to do some renewing. Don't know what it is, but you do. So God, I'm praying for them as well, that you'll give them the courage to face you and to, Realize that grace and mercy that you are so quick to shower upon us and to show us. God, if there's somebody in this room, just one person that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that today will be the day that they say, enough's enough. I'm going to surrender to Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.